بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم السلام علیکم اٹ از وینسڈے دا تھرڈ آف اوگسٹ ٹو تھاؤزینڈ ریفلیکشنز آن دا ہولی قرآن دس از بروڈ کاسٹ نمبر تھری ہنڈریڈ Uh, chapter 2 verse 102 of the holy quran the significance of its words and this is the 25th broadcast in which we are discussing the words of just that one verse of the holy quran these uh, broadcasts are brought to you by laser lahore ahmedia school of education in religion which is a department of uh, <clears throat> the lahore ahmedia movement or ahmedia association for propagation of islam but uh, this organization is known by two or three different names The uh, founder of uh, the Ahmadiyya movement was uh, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of uh, uh, Qadiyan Rahmatullahi and his teaching was that uh, although other Muslims say that after the Holy Prophet Muhammad at least one more Prophet will come, this cannot be right because the Holy Quran addresses the Holy Prophet as Khatmun Nabihi. The Holy Prophet explained that this term means La Nabi Abadi. No Prophet can come after me. So, <clears throat> now no Prophet will come. Not an old one, not a new one. This worried his companions Razila Ta'ala Anhum And he asked, they said, oh, Prophet of Allah, uh, Prophets used to come to previous uh, uh, people and uh, then after the Prophet uh, passed away, a few years later, those people would stray off the right path. So what will happen to Muslims? Previously, Prophets used to come to guide them back. What will happen to Muslims? And the Holy Prophet said, that now God will send 
reformers who did the deen. And they will reform Muslims, not Islam. They will not reform Islam. Islam does not need any reform. It's Muslims and their beliefs and their understanding that needs to be reformed. And Hazrat Mizawlam Ahmed further taught that um, there has been a chain of such reformers uh, who appeared amongst the Muslims um, in various countries at various times. So he was a mujaddid in accordance with that hadith and he also said that but his distinction from uh, other mujaddidin, other reformers was that um, the hadith also speaks of a messiah and a mahdi who will come and the hadith says it's one and the same person and Hazrat Muzawlam Ahmad said that uh, that reference is to a mujaddid because hadith says he will be a leader from among you so he will be a Muslim so he will be uh, a mujaddid and he said that the signs of the coming of the Messiah and Mahdi were fulfilled in his person and uh, of course this this is a matter of disagreement between uh, Muslims not every Muslim accepts this uh, but the sad thing was that Muslims started to say that Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed and uh, the Ahmadiyya, members of the Ahmadiyya movement are kafirs and heretics and out of the pale of Islam and so on. And Hazrat Sam said that uh, although on the slightest differences of opinion you start calling uh, people heretics etc. But the Holy Prophet has forbidden this. The Holy Prophet said that if one reciter of the Kalima says to another reciter of the Kalima, you are a heretic, you are a kafir, then it's the person saying it, the person uttering these words, who is the heretic. Just think about this before declaring people kafirs and, and uh, so on. And uh, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed also taught that uh, other Muslims, they say some prophetic revelation is missing from the Holy Quran. Some say Surah Balayat is uh, missing. Some people say Ayah Rajam is missing. And they go even further and say that the prophetic revelation that is in the Holy Quran some of it has been cancelled, abrogated. So you can recite it, but the command itself doesn't have to be obeyed. And Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad Sahib, he said that Allah says in the Holy Quran that I have revealed it and I shall protect it. So something that has Allah's protection, how can anything be missing from it? And how can anything that's in it, its command be abrogated or cancelled. And of course, Hazrat 
में दगुलाम अहमद सेट दैट जहाद इज द फंडामेंटल ड्यूटी ऑफ एवरी सिंगल मुस्लिम बट अदर पीपल से जहाद मीन्स यू टेक द सोर एंड यू स्टार्ट कटिंग पीपल्स हेड्स ऑफ इफ द डोंट शहादा एंड सो एंड हजरत साहब सेट नो नो वी हैव टू रिवर्ट टू the meaning the definition of jihad as given by the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam who when returning from fighting said that muslims were returning from jihad uh, asghar the minor struggle to jihad akbar the major struggle and then he went on to explain that jihad akbar is jihad bin nafs a struggle with your own self to control your desires such as you know greed and enmity and hatred and jealousy and what have you but of course if you're attacked with the sword then you will defend yourself with the sword so let's turn to the words that we are going to look at today uh, as i uh, have said that because this is a long verse of the holy quran i will only recite that phrase from it which we are going to discuss <clears throat> ऊजुबिल्लाउबी evil is the price for which they have sold their souls now this is previous talk about magic and this and that and so on um, that they said that uh, solomon was using to control people and uh, subjugate them and uh, so on so the two uh, the, the two words that we are going to look at today are the last two words of this phrase be he and anfusahum so let me put this away and uh, let us go to my notes and see what these words mean be he it consists of two segments or to put it another way two words have been combined to make this expression be which is a preposition and he which is a pronoun so with it 
So there's not a lot more you can say about that. So we'll go to the next verse. Anfusahum. This, of course, has two segments. Anfosa, which is the noun, and whom, which is the pronoun. And uh, its root is noon far seen. And uh, we come across this root in uh, four different forms or four words made from this root, based on this root, are found in the Holy Quran. And the total number of times that this root is used in the Holy Quran is 298. And 295 times it's nafs. And uh, so, the words that we find in the Holy Quran Breathing, it breathes the nafas, the nafasa. These are the nafasa in chapter 81, verse 18. And this is used in Urdu as well. And then to aspire, but mostly it means. Self, soul, person, mind, anfosahum, anfosakum, themselves, yourselves, and nafs, soul. Again, uh, one place it actually. Uh, refers to a person, nafsan, a man, in uh, chapter 2, verse 72, which we've already passed. And mostly it's yourself, himself, soul, that it's uh, used to mean. And uh, This has a very wide aspect in meaning. And of course, as I said, it applies to uh, a person. But interestingly, what you say we see someone and we recognize their face and, and, and so on. But we may not know what the character is like, spiritually what they are like. But when this word is used in Arabic for someone, it encapsulates their um, physical being, moral qualities, spiritual being, everything. The complete person. 
uh, it also is used to mean that ability in us that allows us to decide, distinguish between right and wrong. So that means so it, it's used for uh, knowledge, it's used for heart, it's used for uh, rationality, etc. It's also used to indicate status, Phil, Malik, uh, Malikan, Binafsi. The king came to me personally. So you're trying to um, sort of uh, um, give people the impression of your status, your greatness. That the king personally came to see you. The ruler personally came to see you. And it also means uh, the sort of, you know, brotherhood. It means blood, and it's Urdu. All these words have been taken into Urdu. Nifasan, that's the, the blood uh, that flows after giving birth. And in fact, giving birth, uh, the same word is used in Arabic for giving birth. And breathing, I think I've already said this, that uh, the same word is used for that. And uh, <clears throat> in chapter 81, verse 18, the nafsab, uh, the nafsab, uh, the nafsab That the morning, the morning, or well, the sun rose in the morning, the morning shone. So, <clears throat> and of course, you know, you take the basic thing, basic meaning, and uh, all of it flows from some aspect of that basic meaning. It also stands for, when people say, punishment. Um, but I would say, rather than punishment, it stands for the consequences of something that you've done. For example, in chapter 3, verse 27, it's usually translated that God makes you fearful or afraid of him. But I disagree with that. That God is telling you, you know, I'm, I'm some kind of, and really, you know, that this is a general misconception about Allah and Islam, isn't it? That we say that God is something to be you know, uh, uh, really feared. We make him akin to uh, Hitler and Stalin and so on. That, uh, you know, we'll be sent to uh, gas chambers or uh, whatever if we don't uh, 
listen to him or uh, obey him and so on. But I disagree with that meaning. I think what it means is, is that God is not making you afraid of himself. God is making you afraid of the consequences of what you do. That's what God is saying. That man does things, but unfortunately, man is governed by short-termism. You can't see beyond the end of your nose. You know, there are lots of people who say, oh, okay, you know, let's just do this and get away with it. And then, you know, we'll worry about the future later. They do the same thing with the hereafter. That's okay. Let me lie and cheat and deceive people and so on. And then uh, when I'm old, I will go to Hajj and everything will be uh, forgiven. That's not the concept of Hajj, I hasten to add. But here, God is warning human beings that he has given us a wonderful creation and he has himself given us the right to govern and use it as we want. That's fine. But God says, you know, be afraid of your actions. Be aware of your actions. And there, there are numerous examples. In London, for example, in uh, sort of 30s and 40s and so on, even before then, a huge number of factories were built around big cities on the outskirts. And they all used coal. And the kind of coal they used, it generated smoke. So in the homes, people also used coal to heat the home. Well, I say heat the home. Actually, it was only one room that was heated. The rest of the house was freezing cold. But anyway, when the chimney coal was burned and it produced smoke, which the chimney expelled into the atmosphere. And by the time 50s came along, this got so bad that on certainly on cloudy days in winter, if you went out, you couldn't see anything. And it wasn't fog, it was called smog, a combination of smoke and fog. And government would put out regular warnings on radio because few people had television at that time and anyway you know the broadcast uh, times for the television was that it used to start at about I think five in the afternoon and uh, go off at uh, 10 at night or something so if there, uh, if there was going to be smog the government wanted to give warnings in the morning and throughout the day so they used radio which most people had and listened to and they said, you know, if you're over 60, 
and you want to live, don't go out. If you are under five and you want to live, don't go out. If you've got any medical condition like asthma or any other form of breathing problem, don't go out. Because if you do, you wouldn't be able to breathe. And it got so bad that eventually the government had to pass what was called the Clean Air Act, which banned the use of uh, um, those fossil fuels that uh, produced smoke. And this was banned in 1950s. And I remember in 1980s, 40 years later, I used to work in London and if you blew your nose and you looked into the handkerchief it was full of black stuff. There was so much smoke still in the air 40 years later through what man had done. And uh, I, guess, I guess it's much better now because there's been another 40 years. Thames was the same for other reasons because all um, effluence and so on, you know, you flushed the toilet and it went straight into the Thames and polluted it. And the result was that all the fish died. There was nothing living in that water, whether animal or plant. And that was then banned, that raw sewage cannot be expelled into uh, the Thames. And uh, <clears throat> it took a long time for the fish and other things to return. And you know, there's one example after another, isn't there? The example of ozone layer. Where our at breathable atmosphere ends, around the earth there is what's called the ozone layer. Why is it there? Because it absorbs the harmful rays coming from the sun. It lets through light and heat and so on, which we need which trees and plants and crops and everything needs, which animals need and we need. But it blocks harmful rays. And through our use of various things like, um, you know, sprays and so on, we've got a great big hole in the ozone layer on top of North Pole. That's, you know, a bit fortunate that not many people live there. Can you imagine what will happen if that black that that hole keeps on expanding and gets to you know cities with big populations? You will have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people getting cancer. Health health. Organizations will not be able to cope. Well, we've seen this, haven't we? With COVID, 
that they had to build temporary hospitals and so on in sports stadiums and everywhere else to try and cope with the number of people who were falling sick. So can you imagine tens of thousands of people falling ill with cancer of one kind or another? How will medical facilities cope? How will health services cope? COVID is under control, has been for a year, for over a year, but we are still suffering its consequences. And there are thousands of other examples. Global warming. And sadly, many politicians, they say that there is no such thing as global warming. And yet, record keeping of uh, temperatures in the UK started a hundred and something years ago. And I think there have been five years when temperature has gone near 40. And out of those five, four of those years have been from 2003 onwards. And just one previously. Previously, it used to get so cold that the Thames would freeze. You can dig up old Christmas cards. You will see photographs of people skating on the Thames. Not only did it freeze, but it wasn't just the, you know, a small layer at the top. It was so thick that you could actually skate on the Thames. How many years has, has it been since it froze? I don't know. I don't think it's... Uh, frozen since we've been in in the UK and now our actions are causing a shortage of water but we continue to waste it we continue to waste it we fill up a huge bath just to wash. Why? If you go to mosques, you see taps full on and people performing the wudu. Why is the tap full on? The Holy Prophet was so conscious of these things that he said, that if you're performing wudu by the shores of Euphrates, pretend you only have this much water. And he held up his hands. We talk about, you know, the hadith of the Holy Prophet and following the sunnah of the Holy Prophet and so on. 
So I asked these people to leave taps full or to do wuzu in, in mosques and so on. What about this and these and this one? How about following these? Nowadays, whichever country you go to, there are national parks and uh, so on. But the Holy Prophet Muhammad was the first person, to my knowledge, who set up reserves where it was forbidden to cut down trees and, and so on. The only thing you could do was to graze your camels and your horses in those areas. You couldn't do anything else. You couldn't do anything else. And that was, I think, the, the first time that you could call it a, wasn't a, the area wasn't big enough like Yellowstone Park or Grand Canyon and so on, but you know, the concept was still there. That we're going to preserve this natural habitat. And we are running short of everything. You're running short of clean air. We are running short of water. You name it. And we're short of it. And this is what God is saying. God is not saying, asking you to become afraid of him. What God is saying is, fear the consequences of what you do. Because you're human beings. You don't think of the consequences of what you're going to do. And in the short term, you might be okay. But... In the long term, you're going to destroy yourselves and you're going to destroy this planet. So fear the consequences. Fear where your actions lead you. So God doesn't, it doesn't matter to God when you, whether you're afraid of him or not. Makes no difference to him at all. So with that, I take my leave of you until inshallah tomorrow we meet again when I hope we might be able to finish talking about this verse of the uh, Holy Quran and then I want to do a summary of the general uh, message that is in this verse of the uh, Holy Quran. Assalamu alaikum. Khuda Hafiz and goodbye.